You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. John Austin and a nickel pack to the Bears. Here's it up. Oh, he drops it in the bucket. Kenny Britt is gone. Touchdown. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending for the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome to an all-new episode of Turf Show Times Radio. This is your boy, Josh Webb, alongside my co-host, Mr. Mycin Adiasor. I was probably going to say something there, and then it just, I forgot what it was. My (laughs) co-host. Maybe you're going to say Mycin and then you're like co-host, my, my co-host. Yeah, I, 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 think, <laughs> I think that's probably I got caught in between two minds. <laughs> it's not. It's the, my name isn't easy to confuse with something else. So yeah, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> well, uh, you actually have laid the groundwork for today's podcast, and. Um, one of the topics that I want to kind of get into right away is this debate that's flying around the Internet. And uh, the reason that we're going to talk about it is because by hooker, by crook, Jared Goff is included in this uh, simply because the Rams did trade up for him. So yeah. there, there is, uh, depending on which outlet, you know, they all release the same one and think they're all original. Uh, but depending on which outlet you 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 follow, there is a, uh, a usually a graph or a graphic with a whole bunch of years and then the quarterback uh, that 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 teams traded up for. And the right. idea is that you look at this and you see a whole bunch of NFL busts and like one or two successes. So the question then becomes, is trading up for a quarterback worth it? And first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start off and then I'll kick it over to you. I just want to say, I, I, I think this is the dumbest debate currently <laughs> on Twitter. Like, People need to understand that simply being drafted to a team does not mean that, like, regardless of how good that player was in college, if they are drafted to the wrong team, then their career is going to come to a crashing halt. The situation uh, in which you are drafted, uh, your work ethic, whether or not your head coach was fired uh, prior to you being drafted, uh, y- the env- uh, environment in which you play, like some 
some organizations like I, I'm not I, I'm just going to use them as an example because they they don't never need a quarterback. But the Patriots, like if Tom yeah. Brady were out for any significant time, and their backup couldn't win a damn game, don't for one second think that the Patriots wouldn't go out and trade for somebody capable of winning games because that's the bottom line for New England. They win games, but. You know, just this idea of, oh, they traded up and that guy was a bust, correlation equals causation. It's the dumbest damn thing in the world. Where you're drafted, who you're developed by, how much time you're given, uh, who worked with you. All of these things play a factor in somebody's development. And and I just, I, I think the graphic is stupid. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so many variables that play a role into whether a player is a success or a bust or average or below average, whatever it may be that they end up being. Like, it's a lot that goes into it, you know. And, I mean, you hit on a lot of it, you know, whether it's the system that you were put in, the coaches, um, the environment. It's so just it's, – it's really – I mean, look at Colin a, It's Jack- a never-ending thing. Look at Colin Kaepernick under Jim Harbaugh. Look at Colin Kaepernick now. Do right. you see the difference? <laughs> you know? Right. No, I agree with you 100%. Like, I think I think that you have coaches who are really, really smart and understand that we need to put this person in the best position to succeed, and this is how we're going to do it. You have coaches who, like, throw the whole damn book at them. Like, what? <laughs> like, what rookie? Not, let me not say what. There's a few that's been able to do it. I know that Andrew Luck did it. Jameis Winston did it. You know, every once in a while you have a rookie that can come in and just pick it up. You can throw the book at him, and he gets it. You know, but it's not a lot. <laughs> you know, it doesn't happen very often where a player can – um just come in and get it. But that's also that's also what kind of makes the stat a little jaded because, I mean, whether you trade up for a player or not, whether you trade up for a quarterback or not, I mean, it really doesn't change the fact that you're still going to have a lot of guys who don't work out. You know, there's more guys that don't work out than that do work out. That's just the bottom line. <laughs> you know, you I don't care if you picked in the first round or the seventh round. There's always going to be more guys that don't work out than what than what does. Um, it, it's not a the draft isn't a sixty uh, percent success rate. You know, it's very few guys. You know, of the two hundred and fifty six that get drafted, who are still around five years down the road, regardless of what your round is. Very few guys are still around. You know, so it's you know you got two fifty six. We'll just. You know, I haven't done the research. I have to pull it up for another day. But let's just say 70 guys are still around five years down the road. That's not good. <laughs> That's a very small percentage, you know. So to look at it and say, oh, trading up, you know, this is the percentage. Well, it's always it's always a gamble, you know. So it doesn't to me, it doesn't uh, what you say. Uh, well, you know, teams have traded up and they just didn't get the guy. It doesn't really matter to me because I still look at it and say no matter what. You're always going to have that gamble. There's always going to be, you know, a bunch of guys who don't work out. There's going to be busts. There's going to be guys who's put in the wrong system. There's going to be all kinds of things. And, you know, that's inevitable. <laughs> you know, to say that it's because you traded it up, that's just, that's a reach to me. Yeah, it's exactly, it's, 
it's it really is a straw man argument. It's finding the weakest point and and then saying this is the reason why. Like it could yeah. just as easily be the GM that made the trade. Like why aren't we looking at that? Like which GM made the trade? How successful was that GM? You know, how successful is the team in general that drafted him? You yeah, know? absolutely. And, and and then and then in guys in situations like Robert Griffin the third, you look at a guy who was progressing along just finely until the team just did whatever they wanted without his interest and his health in mind. And now well, he you know, and now he ain't never going to be the same quarterback ever again. Ever. Well, you know, here's the thing that kind of goes back to what I was saying about you know you have coaches who are really smart about how they handle someone. And they say, okay, you know, we're going to take our time. We're going to put them in the best position to win. Me personally, and I've been saying this since 2012, but I'm never going to change my stance on this. Me personally, I was not impressed by RG3's rookie season. You know, yeah, he won rookie of the year, and there was a lot of hype around him and stuff. But I kind of looked at it, and I was like, he's not really doing anything. He had the simplest offense I had ever seen a quarterback have. He threw a lot of bubble screens and a lot of – passes that was within five yards of the line of scrimmage, you know, they made it so ridiculously easy for him, you know, um, and then you look at the weapons that he had around him at the time, you know, they were making plays. So it wasn't, it wasn't a, um, it wasn't a, a rookie season that really had me like, Oh wow. You know, I, hey, I, I, at it. I, I understand that. But I, my, my point here is, is that he at least was being productive prior to that well, stupid ass injury. Like, well, what you think he would have been productive long term that's a different debate i'm just saying you do have situations where the player drafted ends up getting injured like their body their body doesn't want to do what they're capable of doing and and it's well, i mean look we all we all know injuries happen you know and it it is like you said it is unfortunate but my point that i was making is like I didn't see him as having like this great, you know, I didn't see the signs that said, you know, he's going to be this great player because it was all so easy. And when they, you know, when they started to give a little bit more to him, even after he got healthy, he just couldn't, he couldn't handle it. You know, he, he didn't, he didn't make the right decisions. You know, when they started to give him a little bit more, it wasn't like they just threw the book at him. They did it the right way. You know, Cal Shanahan, and Mike Shanahan, they did it the right way. You know, they didn't just throw him in the fire, <laughs> you know, because he couldn't handle it. But even with the little bit no, more I, they were giving him, he I, didn't I get it. That's why, and, and my point my point about making is that, like, when I look at RG3, I would say he's a bust because he just couldn't, he can't get it, and, and you know. That's, and that's fine, but my original point still stands. If you have guys that were injured, it doesn't matter. Like, as bad as he got injured, if you're yeah. if you're if you're saying he's as far behind as he was, then getting as badly injured as he did, that basically writes the death sentence on his career because he is so far behind already out of the game. Yeah, absolutely. He has so much to work on, and now he has a damn near impossible injury to come back from that's going to take him away from the game for a year. That that's. Yeah. That in and of itself is almost a death sentence. That's the only point that I was making. Our RG3 himself is immaterial to my larger point that you have quarterbacks who are drafted, they get injured, that their career does not quite go as planned because of that injury. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, there there mere there are myriad things that all that 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 all intertwine together to make up the reason that a quarterback does not succeed. Trading up for them is just one portion of it. Seriously, that's it. This yeah. is the dumbest and, argument. And, 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 and I wouldn't even call it a portion because I don't think that a quarter like you like it's only a portion when it's part of the reason that the player didn't succeed. Since when does trading up result to the player it, not succeeding? I, I, <laughs> you know? And that's why I say that's why I think that the whole idea behind it is just crazy. You know, oh when you trade up, this is what happens. Can, no, that's, can you understand though that if a guy's drafted, say like Goff with the Rams gave up to get him, that can add to the pressure of you need to succeed now and if he doesn't, that then like in nowadays NFL, we expect I mean, guys to be able to contribute right away. When quarterbacks should I, sit and learn. I think it's on your mind when you're at home. I don't think it's on your mind when you're in the field of play. <laughs> you know, I don't think that when he's dropping, I don't think when golf's dropping back in the pocket, he said, "Man, the Rams sure did give up a lot for me." <laughs> you no, know? I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I don't think that either. But I. I just think with every article written about how he's a number one pick or if if players turn on him and they're like, hey, number one overall, how about you start throwing me the damn ball, you know, or something like that. You know, yeah. you know how players get when a player is not keeping up their portion of the argument. See, this is where Lafleur and McVeigh come in and we start to shift gears towards uh, – uh, uh, go in a different direction. I think we can put a pin in in the uh, court training up argument and just say that yeah. it's really stupid. It is very, very stupid. You know, it's it's ridiculous. Whoever thought of that, they were bored. <laughs> they, got, they guys, were before bored you and... move on, I have a couple of questions and and no. maybe something to kind of expand this conversation a little bit. First, first of all, one point. Uh, just thinking about the Bears trade for Trubisky, I don't remember who said it, but there were people that saying, oh, how could you give up that much and trade up only one spot to draft a guy that was probably going to be there anyway? Well, there was no guarantee. And if you think that... There was a pretty damn good guarantee that Mitch Trubisky <laughs> was going to well, be there at three. I, I don't know. Don't the Niners could have taken him. And and if you're a GM and you believe in a guy no. that much and you think he could be a franchise quarterback and you don't take him, that could cost you your job. And um, Yeah, and trading up one spot yeah. and giving up your life. <laughs> doesn't pan out you know people are going to be like hey you know as it turned out that the, the Niners didn't have their eye on Trubisky the Niners had had they were going to take Solomon Thomas regardless like exactly what they were going to do and and, and 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 that's why the Niners were happy to make the trade is because they knew Chicago wasn't gonna take Solomon Thomas. Right. They knew Chicago. Actually, they, they the yeah. report a report came out. A report came out where they actually thought that's who they wanted. You know, when they traded down, they thought the Bears. Want, that's I think that's part of the reason why they charged them so much. It was like, hey, if we're gonna, not not going to get our guy, you're going to pay for him. You know, 
and they said that they was genuinely shocked <laughs> that they took Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> I think the whole world was shocked, but the, the apparently so was the uh, 49ers. They didn't think that's who they were going to take. Right, right, but, and, but, and, and, and it's, it, yeah, I got nothing more to say about Yeah, that. I just, I, I, I'll steer away from the Mitch, Mitch Trubisky pick, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to wait and see what happens with him. Over exactly. Go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. Keep going. And then here's my here's my question to you guys. You talk about how some coaches put young quarterbacks in situations to succeed, like I... Kaepernick and Harbaugh, Cam Newton and Ron Rivera. Why do you think more coaches around the league don't do that and say, I mean, because the, the year uh, that Cam Newton came out, that is very easy. Well, <laughs> he goes. Hold on, hold on so a second, this guys. Isn't, this isn't a mind. There, there's no need for you to elaborate on this question. It's still going to come back to ego, but go ahead. Well, yeah, that I mean, that was going to be one of my questions. Um, I mean, it's because the year that Cam Newton came out because of the lockout, Coaches finally figured out, okay, we have to put this guy in a situation that he's comfortable in, and he's had this modified system that he's comfortable in since day one and has had quite a bit of success. And we think that the NFL figured that out, but um, then all of a sudden they reverted back to this is how we do things. Do you guys really think it's, it's all ego? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's definitely ego. I mean, you have coaches who look at it and they say that we're going to, you know, do whatever we have to to make this player comfortable. Then you have coaches that say, you know, we're not we're not going to change our offense. You know, you're going to you're going to figure it out. You know, we're going to we're going to throw it all at him. And he's going to handle it. And that's not always the case. You know, it's, it, I think people forget how complex they make these playbooks, you know, it, and, and does it always have to be that complex? No, it doesn't have to be all the time, which is proven when you look at coaches who's willing to make tweaks and simplify things for the players so that they can get it. It doesn't have to always be that way, but coaches are very stubborn. You know, they have these egos and that's kind of, and you can't really expect it to be any other way because that's really kind of what helped them get to the position yeah, that they're in exactly. is their, their ego, at, their confidence. <laughs> look at Tim DeRuder at Fresno State. Even though he kept losing games, he didn't back off the way he played. It was right. the same offense. It was the same defense. They didn't back down. Why? Because that's what got them where they were. And exactly. if, if a coach has to go back and reinvent the wheel, now he's got to hope that whatever he tries next works. Now, that's part of growing and becoming a much better coach, but not a lot of coaches are willing to take that risk and say, you know, what I was trying to do with this team is simply not working. Let me reexamine my worldview and try a different way. Yeah. Like, I'm just surprised more coaches don't do that considering – that's what makes be. the most successful head coach in the NFL this is an ego, so this successful. This is an ego-driven sport, so you shouldn't be surprised by it at all. When you're talking about the most successful coaches in the league, look at Bill Belichick. Do you, like Everything about that man says ego. Well, he's no, but that's what I'm avoided, saying. He straight he's... out avoided 
getting subpoenaed because he lived in a gated community and he used that to his advantage. If that's not arrogance, I don't know what is. But He's Josh, like, when it comes I know to how I know how to avoid Aaron Hernandez. I'm just not even going to be near his trial. But when it comes to football, though, Josh, Belichick has shown the the ability to adapt his system to his players' strengths. And that's what I'm wondering. Uh, I mean, yeah, it comes down to ego, but I would think that more coaches are saying, look, this guy's had a lot of success. Why don't we try this? That's all I'm saying. It, you would you would hope that you would you would want that you see that in a guy like McVay you see it more in younger coaches who have grown up in a system where in the off season a lot of these guys you know went went through the college ranks and and coaches do circuits during the summer so you'll have DB coaches. Uh, 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 Learning from, you know, top defensive coordinators like Kirby Smart at, 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 at these gatherings. And so you kind of build and expand through there. Or you have somebody like Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian who go and learn under Nick Saban and try and learn a different way to do things. Uh, Lane Kiffin's still going to fail because he's the same old dude. He can't change his ways. Yeah. And that's the problem, man, is it's just ego. So you have to hope, like, straight out, dude, uh, a Premier League uh, journalist asked Pep Guardiola, even though they had just lost and, and City struggled and didn't do well this year, struggled trying to play Pep Guardiola's uh, style, they said, hey, next year are you going to change the style? And Pep's his answer was No. If I change the style, then I don't, I, I don't know any other way to play. Like, that's that's a coach's mind. They only know how to play the one way. That's how they were taught to play. Yeah, I would, and I would agree with all that. You know, it, it's really no other way to put it. I think that's a good stopping point for that subject. Yeah. Um, but grab let's, the next uh, question. Let's grab the next question by the balls. What subject do you want to talk about next, Myson? Bring it up. Let's uh, let's get let's let, you know. I missed last week. Let's talk a little bit about this draft before we get to the the fans' questions. It was a very interesting draft, <laughs> to say the least. Um, I personally, I thought there was a uh, some highs, some very 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 good highs. It's very 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 very. Very, very, very low, low. <laughs> um, let's just start off from the top. You know, was trading down from 37 the right choice? Um, it wasn't a surprise at all. I think um, it was the expectation is that a trade was going to happen, probably more than one trade. Now, when that trade was going to happen, whether it was up or down or 37 or in the third round, whatever it was going to be, that was the question. But I think it was unanimous. We all knew you, Leslie you was going to move. You called it on the podcast. You said he wasn't going to sit still. Like, is going to get every guest we had on. You said we just don't know when Les Snead will move. We know he's going to. It's just oh, he's going to move. Yeah, it's it's when and where. Is he going up? Is he going down? But he's going to move. Now, my gut feeling all along was that the Rams were not going to sit at thirty-seven. You know, whether they were going to go up or down. 
it was probably going to be 37 that was going to get traded. Um, but ultimately, he moved a lot. <laughs> you know, um, there was quite a few trades in this draft. Uh, I think four in total. They moved back three times, I think, and up once. Um, so they were they were they were definitely all over the board, um, which is typical Leslie fashion. You know, he likes to he likes to move around. He's not afraid to 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 switch picks. But you have to uh, look at what's there at the time of the move. And was it necessary? And for me, I look at it and I say, okay, you have at the time of the move, you know, I won't even include Forrest Lemp in this, you know, because I think that they have a legitimate argument when they say that they want to work with what they have because the players are so young and they have a point, you know, a lot of the players haven't, haven't proved whether they are good enough or not good enough. You know, that has yet to be proved with a lot of those linemen that they have, you know, uh, because they just haven't played enough snaps. They're really young. The majority of them only been in the league for two years. So it, I think they have a legitimate point. Um, now, let's look at what was there on the board outside of the line. <laughs> you have yourself, um, for example, Zay Jones. Zay Jones is there. The Rams could have taken him. Um, they had their, they had their sights set on a tight end. The report came out that the Rams were really eyeing Evan Ingram. That was who they wanted the most, apparently. Um, when he went, they took the, the next tight end that they liked the most, which was Everett, uh, Gerald Everett. What is your, what's your thoughts on the Gerald, Gerald Everett pick? Do you think it was a good pick, or do you think they should have stayed at 37? Josh. Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't like the pick. I, I will say that. I think there are other players that they, they could have, they could have easily taken. I just don't like Uh, the pick. You know, I think that this is going to be one of those situations where when we get down the road, this could very well be one of those where, you know, there's a stat that came out once upon a time, and it was on the Raiders. And it was before the Raiders became good. <laughs> you know, it was before they got good again. It was when they were still the same old Raiders, <laughs> you know. Um, and that was when, you know, it just, they were winning two games a year. And a stat came out saying, you know, this is who they could have had. And it went year by year in the draft showing the players that they just missed. And it was a lot. It was like Aaron Rodgers and Calvin Johnson and <laughs> nonstop misses, <laughs> you know, where they, where they took a player in the very next pick became was somebody who was probably headed to the hall of fame, which you just don't see every day. It was like Patrick Peterson was on there. There was a lot. And so I look at this and I say, you know, this could be one of those situations, uh, not necessarily saying that the player would be hall of fame worthy, but this could be one of those situations where, you look at the fact they traded back, they got Jared Everett, but they could have gotten a Zay Jones. Now, Zay Jones to me is, you know, if you look at the past 10 years, the past 10 drafts, he's probably a first rounder in nine of them. You know, he's a first round pick in nine of them. As I've been, I've been saying since December, this draft is so deep, you're going to have a lot of players that's going to fall over into the second round. 
And I think this is this is one of those players that fell over into the second round because it was just so deep. Like everybody couldn't go in the first. And the Rams had the chance to get him. He fell right in their lap. He was filled the position of need. He could have been that number one receiver that they've been needing, you know, and they passed on him, they traded down, and they went with the tight end. Now, the thing about it is, uh, I know they went and got Cooper Cup. When you look at Zay Jones, he's kind of a more athletic, more explosive, higher upside Cooper Cup. You know, he has the sure hands, which Cooper Cup has. You know, he has Cooper Cup has sure hands and good route running, which the Rams need and have needed for a while now. But Zay Jones also has that. But then he also brings more to the table, you know, with his leaping ability and his ability to high point the ball. You know, he was one of the best high pointers in the draft. He can go up and get the ball. I would say the only player in the draft who was better than him was Mike Williams. Mike Williams, that's his specialty, the jump ball. After that is Zay Jones. You know, so he's a, he's an immediate red zone threat. You know, he uh, he has the speed to take the top off the defense he has the quickness to work underneath you know he's a great intermediate route runner which is where his bread and butter was and not only that but just like he's a he's an ncaa record holder you know he holds the record for most receiving uh most receptions in a career in division one and he did it against better competition than cup and he also holds the record for most receptions in a single season with 158 so I, i look at i look at the zay jones opportunity and i say could this be that player who four or five years from now, comes back and make you say, I don't know if passing him up was a good idea. Maybe the Rams should have stayed put at 37. What's your thoughts on that? Um, I don't know if the Rams should have stayed put at 37. I mean, I feel like that there are other things they could have done. Obviously, the Corey Davis train went out the window. Well, there, there's no way the Rams could have. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, they, 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 they couldn't have gotten their hands on him. Um, what ended up happening uh, is that their tight end, as you said, came off the board early, um, and ultimately they wound up taking the next guy on their list, who's a small school guy. So now you got two tight ends from from mid tier schools, uh, and and you're going to be breaking them into an offense that's dependent on tight ends the only problem with that is is neither one of these guys are renowned for their blocking ability and uh the blocking tight ends that were on the roster have since been let go so i i think that uh, i think the pick could have been spent better yeah i would agree i mean and that, that kind of goes right in time you know the next topic of what should the Rams really expect from Gerald Everett? I mean, <laughs> we've talked about this on this show a lot. Tight ends do not come into the NFL and tear it up. <laughs> it just <Yeah>. doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's one no, of the hardest positions to transition from. Outside of quarterback, it's probably the hardest. It just doesn't happen. And I don't think anyone should expect Gerald Everett to come in and just light it up. I don't think that that's realistic at all. And... To me, this reeks of Brian Quick, and this is why. That's the reason why I'm, you know, not crazy about the pick. I'm not 100% against it, but it reeks of Brian Quick. <laughs> it, it, it's very similar. Would you agree? I think I think it comes damn close, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> it's not it's not too dissimilar. Um, you know, I uh. I just look at 
at, at, at the Rams, their needs, what was there, what they could have taken. And it just, I'm not saying it was a bad draft. I feel that they got some talented players in some good spots. But I also feel like there were other spots where, okay, maybe I would have gone a different way. But I'm also not a head coach, nor am I a general manager, and I don't get paid to make those kind of decisions. So <laughs> we'll see what happens with Les Snead when he is making those decisions. Uh, you know, like this was his draft, and you still saw a smattering of, of stuff that appeared during Jeff, uh, Jeff Fisher draft. So maybe Les Snead had more control than we thought he did. Yeah, maybe he did, or maybe Jeff Fisher rubbed off on him. I don't know, but this, it really, really reminded me of it, and I got this eerie feeling in my gut <laughs> when it happened. It reminded me so much of Brian Quick. It was the first thing that came to my mind. It was like, you know, really small school, um, not, not, not talked about, you know, as a player who we picked in this range a lot um only okay testing you know okay production <laughs> you know it, it just it reminded me in a huge project it reminded me so much of brian quick it was scary and at the time you know i immediately started going back and forth is this you know i started asking myself how do i grade this, this pick you know because it made some sense to me considering you have to take into consideration as we just were talking about the system that's going to be ran, you want to bring in players that's going to fit your system. Um, That's the reason that I like Zay Jones as the pick because they went and got Cooper cup because they feel he fits the system. Zay Jones is the same player, but more explosive with more upside. So it's like he fits the system and he, brings more to the table that's why i like that idea of going there but you have to but you do have to include that so that's why you know i was going back and forth i said is this you know i'm either going to give this pick a c plus or a b minus <laughs> you know i was going back and forth i ultimately went with the b minus because i understood the pick the fit makes sense and the, the fit is what as i i, I would have been a hypocrite to give it a c plus because fit is the number one thing i talk about when i say that you got to when you're picking players, you have to consider that because so often it doesn't get considered and players really get screwed over that. You know, so, so I had to go with the B minus, but it was uh it was one of the hardest things I had ever had to do in grade a grade a pick. Um I I'm just not crazy about that. I I think that it's it's a it's a huge reach. I think that it's gonna take some time for him to really develop and become whatever it is he's gonna become. I think that most of all, um Sean McVay is kind of a uh, this is this is the Jordan Reed effect. You know, I think that he's so stuck on finding another Jordan Reed that because when you look at the fact that he was look, you look at Jordan Reed, you look at the size, you look at the skill set and what he brings to the game. And then you look at who they were eyeing, Evan Ingram. It's almost a clone. And then you look at the next best player. You know, he's not quite as explosive, but the measurements are there. You know, I don't think that's a coincidence that the, the two guys that he was eyeing the most are so so closely compared to Jordan Reed. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. You know, I think he really wants to. Re- I think he really wants to get another Jordan Reed, and I think he got so caught up in that that when Evan Ingram went, you know, there was almost a sense of panic, 
And I think it was just, we got to get him. We got to get him. <laughs> you know, and that's, I think that's ultimately what happened there. I won't disagree with that. I, 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 I can't come up with a rationale for the pick. So as far as I'm concerned, that's as good as anything. I, I, you know, I look at guys like David Njoku or Evan Ingram or impact tight ends and, this to me just screams how the hell did you get drafted in the second round yeah yeah I, it's if you're gonna trade back is my opinion if you're gonna trade back it's like no wonder they were able trade, to trade back, back you know like that <laughs> like trade back now, yeah you could have <laughs> traded to the end of the fourth round and still been able to get him <laughs> like if you're gonna trade back to get them, trade back. <laughs> like I would have went all the way to the bottom of the second, got more value, you know, getting some extra picks and or uh, even trade hell, get him in the top of the third. I really think you could have got him in the top of the third, but it is what it is now. He's a rim. He's the 44th overall pick, and you know, only time would tell if this was the right move, but. It's uh, it's one that, that that Brian Quick. I think it just leaves such a nasty taste in so many people's mouths. It's like, oh, did this really just happen? Or are, are we going this route again? Because <laughs> of the similarity. So we'll see. I will say this: um, Brian Quick was probably, um, probably I would say he had better ball skills than what we're seeing out of Gerald Everett. You know, Gerald Everett, uh, he doesn't he doesn't bring great ball skills with him uh that's not part of his game you know he's a receiving tight end that runs decent routes but he doesn't locate the ball as well as you would like your receiving the tight end to do and he has a case of the drop so we'll see uh we will definitely see but it's it's gonna be um it's gonna be a pick that's gonna have to be justified um yeah let's uh moving on though let's uh who's the biggest sleeper addition Biggest sleeper edition. Oh man, that is such a good question because I really feel like the best parts of the Rams draft was in the late rounds. I just felt like to close out the draft, it was just hit after hit after hit. You know, the with Sam Rogers and Tanzel Smart and Juan Price, like they really did a good job just closing out the draft. Um I would say, oh man, that's a tough one. It's probably between Sam Rogers and Juan Price. Um, I think Juan Price might might be the biggest sleeper because being a late seventh round pick, you know, um, I think the the immediate idea is he's probably not going to make the team because that's usually the case with those picks, you know, um, and he's undersized, so that doesn't really make him look any better. You know, but the guy is one of the best pass rushers in the draft. He's a natural pass rusher. You know, um, the only thing that really knocked him in my scouting, you know, was the um, the health. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm like, where do you rank this guy in a draft when you're not sure if he's going to be healthy? Now, he was healthy all of this past season. So you hope, you know, the hope is that that's been put behind him, but he wasn't really healthy much at all before the, before the past year and a half. So it's like, um, if he's not going to be, if he's not going to be available, you know, the old saying is you can't make the club in the tub. He's not going to be healthy. Then, you know, 
do you really want to take him that high? Then you have to start adding in the other factors like his size and things like that. But the number one thing for me was just health. Um, but if he is healthy, the guy can flat out rush the passer. <laughs> you know, he just has an insane amount of moves. His repertoire of moves is very impressive. He got great hand usage. He gets off on the ball. He takes off. And you know, they they call him the the sack master, I think. You know, so he's a really he's a really good player. You know, um I think that he could be a major sleeper, but Sam Rogers is gonna be he's gonna be used in this offense. I I you know let's uh not excuse me not let's sneeze, but Sean McVay, he mentioned Zach Lasky and you know, he when talking about the fullbacks, but the, the, there's no question that the guy who's going to be the man back there is going to be Sam Rogers, and, and he literally does it all. He can pass block, run block, catch the ball, and run the ball, and there's absolutely nothing flashy about the pick. He's not going to blow you away with great speed or running guys over or nothing like that, but he, what he is is just a really good football player. <laughs> He's a really, really good football player that I think is probably going to be a fan favorite in a few years. I can understand that. Uh, I, I For me, I, I, I think Josh Reynolds, um, yeah. I think he has the chance to become something special. Uh, I, I agree with you on Elon Price, by the way. I just don't want to say the same guy. I mean, I got to yeah, yeah. That's boring. Um, I really like the Josh Reynolds pick. I think that if 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 you can get him acclimated, if you can get him settled in, if you can get him working on separation, you have a legitimate number one wide receiver over there. Like that's 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 what the Rams have been missing. They've been missing somebody his size with his ability to high point the ball. Um, you know, time will tell if he works out. Uh, he was where he was for a reason. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Rams, I, the Rams didn't reach on him at all. I think with most no. of their guys, I thought that they, uh, maybe outside of Ingram, I thought that they did pretty well on. Um, and even then with Ingram, or excuse me, Everett, um, even then with Everett, he there were still projections of him going in the second round. So I mean, you have to you have to take that with with a grain of salt. But uh, you know, I I I think those you you know, there's something about those Texas A&M kids, and you know, Mike Evans, and I'm not saying Josh Reynolds is Mike Evans. But no. Mike Evans wasn't really a fast guy. What Mike Evans was able to do was just be stronger, run better routes, and get separation. And if Josh Reynolds can do that, then he has every bit the ability to high point balls that Jared Goff can just lob up to him. He can Odell Beckham Jr. the hell out of it. You know, I got the, 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 I keep getting the same comparison in my mind when I think of Josh Reynolds and, and it's so fitting considering the team that he went to and who just left the team, but he reminds me of a smaller, I shouldn't say smaller, but a lighter cause they're about the same height. They're actually the exact same height. I think a lighter Kenny Britt, you know, Kenny Britt's 225. He's like just at 200, <laughs> you know, but 
the as far as the style of play, the game, the the game that they play is very very similar. You know, Kenny Britt was is a guy who I don't think people look at physically and say he's a deep threat, but that's what he is. He can really really get downfield and pull away from defenders uh, deep down there, and he can he can track the ball. You know, and then he also he's not afraid to go over the middle either. And Josh Reynolds, I think that's an underrated part of his game because he was such a good deep threat is that when he went over the middle, it was fearless. <laughs> and he would make the catch. He didn't really care about who was coming. He would make the catch. And I think that the similarities between him and Kenny Britt are really, really, really striking. And it's, it's fitting considering the fact that Kenny Britt just left and he comes in. So it's almost like, hey, can he, can he feel that role? And as we know, Kenny Britt, you know, he was a thousand-yard receiver for the Rams, first one in forever. <laughs> you know, so... Can can Josh Reynolds become, you know, not necessarily the next Kenny Britt, but can he become a player that can fill that role, fill the shoes like that was left behind when Kenny Britt left? That's what I want to look at. Okay, let's let's talk about the Cleveland offense right now. Okay, let's yeah. assume that let's assume that twelve personnel will happen, or we're going to see four four receiver sets. So you have Robert Woods, you have Josh Reynolds. You have uh, Tavon Austin, you have Cooper Cup, and who am I forgetting? Farrell Cooper or mm-hmm. Tyler Higby? Which one you want? Higby. No, I'm forgetting a receiver. Farrell Cooper. No, no, I'm talking about a guy who's actually going to see passes. Well, you said Robert Woods, you said Tavon Austin, Cooper Cup. Then you after that you have a wide open battle between Farrell Cooper, Mike uh, Thomas. Um, I really don't think Bradley Marquez makes the team, but Bradley Marquez. <laughs> I'm not going to say Nelson Spruce because I think he's headed to the practice squad. You have Paul McRoberts. Yeah, Marquez North. Um. That okay. Uh. <laughs> I'm just saying, when, when, when you look at the Rams, I, I honestly think that Tavon Austin is going to be a very expensive afterthought. You know, it's funny you say that because I'm not sold he will be. <laughs> um, I'm really not. And I've kind of felt this way since McVay got the job. But I think that the plan, and I, I, well, I no longer think this. I know this because they've actually come out and said it now, but this was my thought all along. The, the plan is that they're going to try to make Tavon Austin to Deshaun Jackson. They're going to stretch the field with him. You know, he's no longer going to just be catch a screen guy or nothing like that. Is this in the same way that out. I'm going to try and make Cat uh, uh, Dennings my wife? Because... <laughs> Like, while they're at it, are they going to turn Jared Goff into Tom Brady and and uh, you know what? Tyler we're going to talk. We're going to talk about that in a minute. <laughs> we're going to talk right, about so, that in a minute with Jared Goff. <laughs> all right. But, so uh, tell, tell me more about what what they tell me more about what they're going to do. Well, they're going to try <laughs> to turn Tavon Austin to uh, Deshaun Jackson and. What I mean by that is they're going to really stretch the field with him. You know, um, does that mean that he's just going to run go routes? Absolutely not. But he's going to run more routes that's 15 yards downfield. You know, uh, one of Deshaun Jackson's best routes 
is a uh, is a comeback route where he he goes down and he it's really more of an option where he can break it uh break it uh into a post or a comeback more times than not because teams respect his speed they're playing off so he is usually becomes a comeback but that comeback route he absolutely eats teams alive with and he's mastered it so well to where you can't tell when it's coming he just he's full speed then he's out of it and he's breaking off towards the sideline it's really really impressive and i think that that's how they want to use Tavon Austin. They want to start getting him running downfield more often and using that speed that he has. Now, he's going to have to prove that he can regularly and consistently track the ball. I think we've seen flashes of it with uh, some big plays for the few times that the Rams were willing to throw the ball downfield under Jeff Fisher, but you know it wasn't enough to say that he's a guy that can track the ball. He has to show that this isn't just a you know, a play here, play there type of thing that this is an actual skill set that he possessed. But that's going to be that's going to be the approach that they're taking. They're going to try to get him, turn him into a big play guy, you know, no more averaging nine point eight yards to catch. You know, let's take that nine and turn it into a 19 or 18. You know, they're going to really try to push the ball with him. And I I think that they're going to have moderate success. Obviously, I don't think he's Deshaun Jackson. You know, there's not very many Deshaun Jacksons that's ever entered the league. (laughs) You know, Deshaun Jackson is one of the best deep threats we've ever seen. You know, he he can not only beat the defense, but then he can track the ball as well as anyone, you know. So I don't think he's going to be Deshaun Jackson, but I think he's going to have more success than what people might be expecting. Yeah, I just don't agree, but whatever. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't think you can turn Tavon Austin into something that he isn't. Um you know. It it is it is what it is. And um uh, to me All I'm saying I, is I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if Tavon Austin by far has his best year yet. Okay. Fair enough. I, I just think that the Rams, uh, as they're presently constructed, have, uh, uh, I, I think, with Cooper Cup and Josh Reynolds and Robert Woods, um, you know, Tyler Higby, I, 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 I don't know. I just feel like the, the, the you, you may be right about the Tavon Austin thing if one thing happens. If Jared Goff can get his distribution going so that it's spread out among the different receivers, then I agree with you. But if Jared Goff has another year like he did last year, then Tavon Austin isn't going to lead anybody in anything. Well, let's let's talk about that. Um, is it really on Jared Goff spreading the ball around, or is it you know something else like? To push the well, ball down, you're gonna. I, I, you're gonna... I, I think you need a run game too, but I, I was I was assuming the run game and saying you look at you look at Drew Brees, okay, and and what makes some of those receivers effective is that Drew Brees isn't afraid to distribute the ball to anybody. In other words, can Jared Goff just say, "All right, that guy's open, I'm gonna hit him." Because there are quarterbacks in the NFL, particularly those who are going through a maturation process, that will lock on to a receiver even when they shouldn't. When sometimes the easiest option is, you know, the, 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 you know, the fourth option, which is a guy you don't really play pitch and catch with all that often. So if, if Goff has his distribution 
and the, the, the Rams are are spreading the wealth, then I think that opens up the middle of the field for Tavon Austin, and it allows him to do the things that you're talking about to have his best year yet. Well, I mean, for me, like what, like with me, I don't think it's the run game, you know, um, and that's a whole other story within itself, <laughs> you know, because the run game, I don't care what anyone says. You can talk about how bad the line was. Todd Gurley just simply did not run the ball well. <laughs> you know, he missed way too many holes. He just dropped his head too often. You know, so you can talk about the run game, but at the end of the day, I think it actually starts with the line as far as the success of Tavon Austin. And, you know, that might sound crazy initially, but if you're talking about turning Tavon Austin into more of a guy that can get downfield, you're going to have to give Jared Goff more time. You know, um, and it's also going to be Jared Goff understanding how to uh, understanding blitz and, you know, making the right reads and stuff. But uh, it all it begins with the line uh, giving more time. Then after that, then Jerry Goff has to make the right read. He has to be able to pre-snap, read the blitz, and also read the blitz post-snap, you know. So I would definitely say that is this line going to be better? <laughs> you know, are we going to see significant improvement amongst this line? Or is it going to be more of the same? You know, it was a, it's a, Les Snead really hit the nail on the head when he was talking about it. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago saying that you had the line in 2015, you had the line in 2016 and not that they were, you know, the best line in the NFL in 2015, but they were so much better, <laughs> whether it was a uh, run blocking or pass block, they were just better in 2015 than they were in 2016, you know? So it's like you have virtually almost all the same guys. I think the only one that's not around is Garrett Reynolds, but you have a huge upgrade over Garrett Reynolds by adding a guy like Andrew Whitworth. So it's like, are they going to get better or are they going to be the same? Or are they going to be worse? What do you get from this line? And if the line is better, you have to think that giving your quarterback more time and a guy with that much speed will, will actually be a good thing. Maybe. I mean, but here's the thing. These guys are going from an offense that was fairly simplistic to an offensive playbook, who, who, you know, whose plays are, are sentences. The West Coast offense isn't exactly like, you know, Z28 flanker on three, you know, like that. It just, it, it doesn't roll like that. And Jared Goff, struggled with the basics. Now, that doesn't mean I think Goff can't succeed in this offense. I just think that there has to be a period of adjustment. And when you're talking about a more complex offense, maybe that actually is a benefit to Goff because it puts his brain to work. It, you know, the, the guy is incredibly intelligent. He got into Cal. You, you, you know, sometimes with really intelligent people, you just have to get them, you just have to get their brain engaged. And I think a lot of Rams fans can understand and appreciate why maybe people, or more specifically Jared Goff, wasn't engaged in Fisher Ball. It wasn't exactly an engaging affair. Um, but... 
you know, uh, I, I think that there is going to be an adjustment period while while people are learning the West Coast offense. It is a little bit more difficult uh, to master, and and I think because of that, it it will take a bit of time. Um, but that said, I think that maybe in 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 some weird way, this actually plays to Goff's strengths because he's a cerebral type of guy. If he has to throw himself into this to learn it, maybe that's maybe that's the spark that makes him a better quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I would I would definitely agree with that. Um and it's funny because uh, Jared Goff has been it's weird. It's kind of came out of nowhere, but he's kind of been getting a lot of chit-chat you know, just around the league lately. And it's a lot of talk about him improving. You know, it's not necessarily bad talk. It's a lot of talk about him improving. And um, the thing that hasn't been talked about at all much really is, you know, the line. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, Tavon Austin being used more downfield and the addition of Robert Woods and Tyler, the expectation of Tyler Higby taking the next step. And of course, the Jared Everett Cooper, uh, Cooper Cup. And, you know, they talk about the weapons that he has, but there's not really much talk about the line. And they mention Andrew Whitworth, but, you know, I'm not really so much worried about the left side of the line. Hell, I'm not even worried about the center position, even though I don't trust John Sullivan to stay healthy. And after him, it's wide open. I'm more so worried about the right side of the line. <laughs> what the hell is going to happen over there? You know, that I think the right side of the line kind of holds all the cards. You know, uh, we could either see a team that is going to be, you know, have a really, really stable offensive line. I think that's what the left side is going to be. But the right side is going to have to catch up. Or we could see a line that's going to just completely fall to crap. And unfortunately, that that's the case when you're talking about line because the line works in unison so much. It's like when one you're only as strong as your weakest link when one part starts to fall apart it really puts too much pressure on the rest of them you know so you're really going to have to see that right side hold it down me personally i don't like the idea of rob havenstein kicking in the guard I, you don't mess up a good thing rob havenstein was a good right tackle you don't move him inside i just, just don't to, i i don't just to please greg robinson <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think greg robinson's a tackle yeah, he needs to kick his ass inside the guard. You're not a tackle, dude. <laughs> and if you fail at guard, oh, well, that's why they have Jamon Brown and Andrew Donnell and everybody else that they have in there, <laughs> Cody Wickman, because, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't wait on this dude forever to, for the light to finally go off. You know, yeah, he has the physical ability, and I get Aaron Cromer's thinking, you know, to put him on the right side because apparently it's it's supposed to give him a, 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 the opportunity to react more because there's not as much thinking. But I'm not crazy about keeping him out there. He needs to go inside. <laughs> and if he fails there in Kemp, do not wait till the season. He fails there in Kemp, then you have to throw the next best guy in there and get, get the ball rolling. Um, this line has to be fixed, though. They have to take, they have to take a step forward. You've you've been given enough time, I think. Um, <clears throat> all right, well, that's kind of a perfect segue to 
really two different questions. The first of which was one that you posed, or what are the chances the offensive line takes a big step forward? The second of which comes from Joe Marciano, which is really meant for our show with uh, Joe Curley tomorrow, uh, which will be a separate show where we'll ask some of these same questions. Uh, but but he said if the Rams OL is a disaster again this year, who gets fired or who should? Um, first off, I'll go ahead and take the first one. You take the second one. Um, I think that there is a significant chance that the Rams offensive line can take a step forward this year. Now, that depends on whether or not Sullivan stays healthy. Now, I'm not going to bet on that because, <laughs> frankly, I enjoy keeping my money and nobody I've talked to has left me inspired um, it, vis-a-vis his ability to make it through an entire season. So... Uh, Look, man, there's got to be a first time for everything, right? If, if the Rams can get it done and they can keep him healthy, I think they may figure out very early on that, that Robinson is not a right tackle. And that's an easy enough switch to make. And I don't think that McVay will hesitate to make it. Greg Robinson's not his guy. The Rams have already declined his fifth-year option, which, by the way, old takes exposed. That was something I got miserably wrong. You got right. Um, <clears throat> so the Rams have already declined his fifth-year option. They, they, they think of Greg Robinson what they think of Greg Robinson. So if he's fluffing it over there at right tackle i don't for one second think that sean mcveigh is married to the idea of him having to play out the season uh on 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 the offensive line like i i wouldn't be shocked at all if greg robinson plays his way off the offensive line by the end of the season no i wouldn't be surprised at all like if you uh, just had rod Havenstein and jamon brown playing next to each other like just that's that i mean i'd be okay with that <laughs> to tell you the truth like i wouldn't be mad <laughs> uh i would just be fine with that i mean they they like i said the line uh from 2015 to 2016 was pretty much the same with the only switches there's no Garrett Reynolds and even Garrett Reynolds was a backup to Jamal Brown and he didn't really play until Jamal Brown got hurt you know so the line is pretty much the same as it was uh Tim Barnes is gone but uh one would make argument that even a hurt John Sullivan is the upgrade yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah you know Sullivan is better than Tim Barnes healthy yeah like that's still an upgrade you know um so when I look at the when I look at the line I say while I've seen Jamon Brown and Rob Havenstein work together, and it, it was pretty, you know, they worked together and they did some damage. One of the things I think that can help jo- uh, John Sullivan stay healthy is this. You know, it's not exactly like Minnesota was trying to get the ball out quickly in their offense. You know, they were they were a possession type of team. Um, they like to control the clock. Uh you know, the, the 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 Rams are going to be a bit more explosive. They're going to be a bit quicker. They're going to be a bit more open. 
and having Jared Goff getting rid of the ball quicker rather than having to be engaged in blocks for longer or, you know, being cut down uh, by another player. Uh, you, you know, all of these things, they, they start to lessen in overall effect because the ball's out quicker. And the Rams may benefit from that if, if Goff adapts to the offense and starts getting the ball out quicker. Now, uh, I want to ask you the second part of the question. If the offensive line doesn't turn around, it is time for who to go. No one. Um, you, can't, you can't fire anyone from this staff after one year. It's, <laughs> you really can't. Uh, this staff was put together to rebuild the offense. And the offense is bad. Well, was bad enough that you shouldn't expect it to happen in one year. Um, if there, the NFL's if worst g- offense isn't going to become the NFL's best overnight, it's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, that's just the simple truth of the matter. You know, if if the offensive line doesn't take, you know, a huge step forward, okay, they don't take a huge step forward. Guess what? You go find the guys who's going to help you get move forward, but you don't fire anyone. For that reason, especially considering the fact that these these guys are guys that they you know they want to work with, they want to see what they got, but they're they're not guys that they went out, evaluated, spent money on, spent time on, and then uh, they didn't work out. You know that's not the case. You know these are guys that was already there. They're trying to see what these they aren't have. there. To, these aren't their ter- talent failures. Yeah, you know they're trying to see what they have, and you can't see what you have until. Until you either succeed or fail, <laughs> you, you know, you have to see once you see that you can say, OK, now we know what we need. We know which guys are good. We know who we can keep. We know who needs to go. But you can't you, can, you don't you don't you don't throw in the towel just like that on, on the coaching staff. No, I agree with you. There's nobody that you can fire after a year. Um, there's a possibility you can the offensive line coach and bring in a better one. Sometimes that happens. People want to see a change. If the offensive line is like really bad, like technique wise and things like that, then then yeah, you 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 can bend an offensive line coach, but it will not go any further than that. Yeah. Like I mean, and the line's gonna have to be something awful for them to fire an offensive line coach. Like this staff was just put together. You yeah. You have to give them time to succeed, and telling McVay he has to fire people right away. I mean, at that point, you're 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 cutting him off at the knees. You're you're running his his, his show for him. I can't even think of how bad the line has to be for Aaron Cromer to get fired. Like I can't think of how bad it has to be. Like you. How like it has to be so unbelievably bad, <laughs> you know? Like, like I'm talking they, like, they four sacks a game, Matt, man. <laughs> like, yeah, like Matador blocks and stuff. Like dudes just like going to put their hands up and then just like stepping aside so the guy can just roll on through and just crunch golf. Like yeah, it, has, it would it have has, to be so historically bad to for you to start firing boy. coaches after one year. Water boy levels bad. When they use the yeah. towel boy. Um, all right. Um, so, with that said, who will be the starting five? 
I don't when, think Greg Robinson starts at right tackle. I know, think that he proves to be. At left tackle. Yeah, we know who starts at left tackle. You know, I, from left to right, I'm saying Andrew Whitworth, uh, Roger Saffold, John Sullivan, and uh, behind John Sullivan, though, um, that's going to be the real question because, as we said, can he stay healthy? You know, so the depth behind him will be interesting. I'm not sold that it's going to be Demetrius Rainey. I would not be surprised if it's one of the undrafted free agents. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, John Sullivan starting at center and then right uh, guard. Um, I'm going to go with Jamon Brown for the yeah. time being, but I think Cody Wickman is a true dark horse to steal the starting I job. I know. I don't see I, I, I know. I know. You, I knew you were going to say that. He, he, he doesn't. He Cody Wickman has yet to show me at any point in his career that he has the hunger to go out and grab something that somebody else wants as much, if not more, than him. Yep, I knew you'd say that, but the reason I say that I think he's a dark horse is, you know, Aaron Cromer is... He's playing in a spread offense. Well, no, not just that, but Aaron Cromer is a uh, really good... He's a really good coach. And... You know, I get what you're saying, but one thing that I don't think even you can deny is that Cody Wickman has all of the tools to be a really good guard. You know, he ha- is there. You know, he, he has you just have to pull it out. Them. I wouldn't say that he has all of them. I think he's had a soft mentality going back to Fresno State, and I'm not the only well, out, well, outside of that is what I'm referring to is physical um, tools. You know, the physical, physical tools physical, is there. Physical tools, Cody Wickman is, is an impressive specimen. When you stand next to him, you feel like, even in college, when you stood next to him, you felt like you were standing next to an NFL offensive lineman. Cody yeah. Wickman has the ability to be a quality addition to the Los Angeles Rams offensive line. It will just be a question of whether or not it is him or Jamon Brown or Rod Havenstein. Um, You know, we all think that Havenstein should stay right the hell where he was at. Yeah. But since that's not likely to happen, who's playing right right tackle? Well, I'm going with Rob Havenstein moving back out to right tackle. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't think Greg Robinson you – know, one thing that I do like is that when they made the switch, they made sure that it was known not only to the media and to the world, but made sure it was known to the players – this is no guarantee to stick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I think a huge part of that is that uh, Greg Robinson, you know, he flat out came out and said right when McVay got hired, he didn't want to move from left tackle. He felt like he didn't need to kick inside. I think this is kind of a um, prove it to us. You know, they're giving him a chance. You know, that's why I say mm-hmm. I'm against wasting any time. What Don't waste time. You know, he's not good enough. Then don't even waste time for him to prove it. Just do it. But fine. Prove it. So I don't think he's going to be able to prove it. I think he's going to fail miserably, and they're going to kick him inside the guard. But even when he gets kicked inside the guard, I don't think he's beating out Jamon Brown or Cody Whitman. Okay. I can get on board with all of that. Um, I'm not I'm not in the interest of time, and we have other topics to get to. I will just say that I think Jamon Brown will be the, the guy until Cody Whitman shows me something else. But I will say this. 
I will not be shocked if Cody Wickman ends up being the starting guard, like, at any point. I've always felt like he has a prototypical NFL guard's body. It was, you, you just were waiting for that moment when, when he, when he just stepped up, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Um, so, all right. Um, did we cover best value pick? No. All right. So, real quickly, who is the best value pick? I would say the best value is probably Josh Reynolds. Agreed. Um, I think that Josh Reynolds probably could have been going 30 picks, 20 to, 20 to 30 picks earlier. He could have been a mid, mid round or mid third round pick. And, you know, for him to go when he did, I think the value was just, you couldn't pass on that. Agreed. Agreed. Um, all right. How many years will pass before this draft pays off or will it ever pay off? Um, you know, that, that, that question is nearly impossible to answer because each player develops at their own rate. Um, but as a principle, usually three to four years, what you would expect out of a college coach, you know, a guy learning by the end of year three, year four, you pretty much know what you have. There might be a situation like in Greg Robinson's case where year four he's being moved in, you know, uh, or or was thought to be uh, being moved in as, as a guard, um, which gives them new life. But usually you see people after three seasons, that's generally about the cutoff point for, for most NFL teams. If a guy's not producing yeah, quarterbacks, that's, that's true. quarterbacks, notwithstanding. That's true. About three seasons is usually the case. And, you know, with Greg Robinson, he's at that point to where, you know, he's not a left tackle, you know, that much. I think they're trying to figure out, can he play right tackle? I have often compared him to Robert gallery. You know, the Raiders took him in the first round, try to make him a left tackle. It was not happening. He was an athletic freak, like a um, huge athletic freak like Greg Robinson, but he was not a left tackle. You know, ultimately he ended up kicking inside the guard, played with the Patriots, went on to have a really, really, really good career, was all pro and pro bowler and all that stuff. But I don't know if he's – I'm not saying that Greg Robinson is going to be all that, but I think that's probably his best-case scenario. If he was to have success, it's probably going to be on the inside. But you again, that's something that you found out after three or four years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not going to see any immediate returns on on some of these guys. Maybe a wide receiver has a breakout season or two, but that's yeah. about what it's going to come to. Um, I think it'll be I think it'll be a full three years before we find out what Gerald Everett really is. That, okay, that much I will what? say. Let me package these two questions up. The first portion is from our buddy Joe Marciano, who asks, if Goff shows no encouraging signs of improvement this year, do the Rams risk going into the new stadium in 2019 with him or change the quarterback Sooners? And then from you, Goff is uh, starting to become a hot topic this offseason. Can he make massive strides? 
So starting with Joe's question, um, I would say that the answer is no. Um, because you're talking about after this year. Um, There's going to be impossible. so many... There's going to be so many good quarterbacks in this next draft, though. It is, but it's it's going to be impossible to justify moving on from golf after this year if this if he doesn't if he doesn't uh, perform well. I mean, golf would literally have to not get better at all. He would have to be the exact same quarterback he was through 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 those seven starts to close out last year. There would have to be zero improvement. To throw in the towel. If I saw zero improvement over the course of 16 games this year, I'd be the first person pounding the table <laughs> saying get rid of them. But I'm not sold that we'll, that we'll see zero improvement because the approach that the Rams are taking right now, it has a very high success rate. When teams not only build around their quarterback, but literally creates an organization around their quarterback. Like, this entire Rams organization is all about Jerry Goff right now. The whole point of bringing in Sean McVay was Jerry Goff. Matt LaFleur was about Jerry Goff. Here's a here's a sleeper thing for Jerry Goff. John Sullivan, <laughs> you bring in yourself. Who's who's the who, who knows all the calls on the field other than the quarterback? The center. He's making calls left and right. What's what what was his what was Jared Goff's biggest issue above everything else that teams picked up on and they used and abused the blitz. <laughs> when you bring in a center who can identify the blitz and change protections around for your quarterback so he doesn't have to, you are saving yourself so much trouble. You know, so John Sullivan is a huge addition for Jared Goff. Not just for the line, but for Jared Goff just from a uh, preparation mental aspect. Um, so you got, you you know, you, you bring in Sean McVay, you bring in Matt LaFleur, you bring in um, uh, Aaron Cromer to really try to fix the line. You bring in Andrew Whitworth to protect his blind side. Then you bring in John Sullivan to really focus on uh, protections and being able to make calls and identify those things. And then, of course, you know, you try to add more weapons to the receiving game so that you can uh, really, uh, really take advantage of, of a wide open system that true that you've already admitted you're going to run, you know, you really want to spread things out and you really want to open up the offense, which is something he's more comfortable doing. This is all about Jared golf. And as I said, there, the, the NFL has a high success rate. You know, we talk about the trading up and the low success rate. Well, the high success rate is when you build around your quarterback the way the Rams are doing. When you bring in an offensive minded coach, like um, you know, you look at you look at uh, Carson Wentz, for example, and you look at the the staff that Doug Peterson had. It was all offensive minds, and it was a lot of ex quarterbacks and quarterback coaches and things like that. And it really helped Carson Wentz. And it's been like that forever in the NFL, when you when you build those staffs and then you put the pieces around them and you put the right center and all those things, all the little things come together, make the big thing. And I think that's that's going to ultimately help Jared Goff improve. Now, will Jared Goff become, you know, um, Matt Ryan or something like that? I don't know. I'm I'm doubting it. But uh, I think that I think we will see a marginal improvement. So, um Jared, Jared Goff, I don't think he goes anywhere. Um, I, I, he would have to literally be the exact same quarterback that he left off as. And you you think that that's 
going to happen or you think that it's 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 going to go the other way oh no i think he's i think he's going to be better i don't think he's gonna i don't think he's I also think he's going to be better. Um, you know, when, when we had Janet Thomas on, she talked about uh, Matt LaFleur and what he yeah. does, you know, for, for young men and the way he brings them along and helps these young quarterbacks succeed and and the revitalization of Matt Ryan's career through Matt LaFleur. Um, if Jared Goff can even get a fraction of that, like he's going to improve so substantially. And it truthfully does help that even if he's unpolished, the Rams do finally have a number one wide receiver in Josh Reynolds. I mean, he might not necessarily be what, what, what everybody, you know, thinks or, or the, you know, like your Sammy Watkins or, or AJ Green, but you know what? He's he playing alongside Cooper Cup, Tavon Austin, and Robert Woods. The Rams are going to make plays, and that doesn't even count the tight ends that they have at their disposal. And you know, Tamara Hemingway, I have to think he's going to feature at some point. I, I, oh yes, absolutely. You know, so I I. I think that Goff is going to have, I'm not going to say a remarkable improvement, but we're going to see a noticeable, a noticeable and, and palpable difference in Goff's game. Whether or not that leads to more W's, that's an entirely different story, but we will see a Goff we will be able to witness the maturation of Jared Goff over a season because we will know that LaFleur will be hands-on with him the entire season. Well, Josh, you know, the interesting thing about when you uh, throw 54% and have 5.3 yards uh, per pass completion and you take almost four sacks a game, um, any improvement can be considered remarkable improvement. You know, if Jared Goff goes out there and completes 61% of his passes and he throws, you know, he's averaging uh, seven yards per completion and, you know, he's taking two sacks a game. Three has, sacks a game. Has, even, 20, that has would 22, be, 22 interceptions against, like, or excuse me, 23 <laughs> touchdowns against, like, nine or ten interceptions. Like, Hell, even if he has 14 interceptions, I would expect that of a second-year quarterback. So yeah. I would be able to look at that and I would be able to say, oh, 23 touchdowns to 14 interceptions, 61 completion rate. That's a remarkable improvement for a guy who who played the way that he played last year. That would be a remarkable improvement. That would that would actually be enough to give hope, I think, to everyone to justify the move up, the trade, the picks, everything. That would be that would be the good starting point, you know, but. I think that, you know, completing less than 60% for a second year in a row or, you know, throwing, you know, having a yards per attempt, uh, you know, of less than less than seven or I won't even I won't even put that much pressure on. Them. I'll say less than six point five. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, if you have a, if you have a, a, a completion percentage, you know, of less than six point five again and, you know, you're you're completing less than 60 percent of your passes. 
you're still you're still t- taking too many sacks because yes, the line was bad, but a lot of those sacks was Jerry Goff's fault. Um, mm-hmm. Coach, Bones, Coach Bones even admitted it. You know, uh, Rob Boris admitted it. He had to do better at identifying the blitz, and he had to learn to protect himself. Now, I will say that uh, one of the things about that I'm hearing a lot of is that coming out of the Rams, uh, the Rams uh, camp is. He has really improved a lot. I think that uh, he took the time away to study the games that he played in and learn what he was doing wrong, being able to identify unless he said that he realized that he needed to understand what he needed to do better as well as understand defenses better. And they're saying that he came into uh, voluntary workouts with that understanding, you know, growing a lot. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, come camp. Kemp is going to be very telling uh, because we know that Wade Phillips, he's not afraid to to pin his ears back and really dial up the pressure and say that, you know, make quarterbacks have to rush through their reads. You know, so when Kemp comes and you start going against your defense, and I think I think that's when you're really going to be able to identify how much has he really improved in those areas. But, um, yeah, it, it, does, it won't take a lot for it to be a remarkable improvement for Jared Goff. All right, so we got a couple secondary questions before we get one more and we're out of here. Joe Marciano wants to know, do we expect True to sign a long-term deal before the start of the season? And can the secondary survive the upcoming season? Only John Johnson drafted. Um, Only John Johnson was drafted, but the Rams also added in Nikel Roby Coleman, who I'm a big fan of. I've been a big fan of. Um, I I think the kid can play. Um, he may be a nickel corner at best, but I, I've always loved Nikel's game. Um, the Rams are also going to try out uh, LaMarcus Joyner at, uh, at safety, right? They've decided. Correct. So you've got a couple different guys uh, changing positions. Uh, so I, I, I think that the Rams secondary actually is going to be better because the front seven is better. So I think the secondary will be better because of that fact. And the guys that they added should be enough to help some of those other guys along. Um, are the Rams going to have a top 10 NFL defense? No, they are not. I don't think so. But I do think they will be damn competitive, and it wouldn't shock me if at the end of the year the Rams were in the high teens with their defense. Wade Phillips is is known for those kind of turnarounds. The Rams may be the Rams may be nothing else but a defensive juggernaut. You know what I mean? Like, and Rams oh, yeah. fans would be used to that. So, <laughs> oh yeah, I uh, definitely would agree. The second part of the question is, I, I, I no, I don't expect True to sign a long term deal. I, mo- <laughs> at, at this point, I don't expect him to sign it because I don't think the Rams are going to put it out there. They've had two damn years to do it. You know what? I think now they want to do it. Um, there was a report recently that I uh, came across where it was saying that one of the reasons, that because I think everyone heard about how the Saints offered a, a, uh, a second-round pick 
for uh, True. And the holdup in that was that he refused to sign a long-term deal with them. Um, of course, no team was going to sign him or trade for him with that $16 million or what is it, close to $17 million tag. You know, no team was going to take him on unless he agreed to sign a long-term deal to lower that number. Um, but he refused because he, what was said was he actually wanted to stay. He's wanted to this entire time and has not changed since he wants to stay in LA. You know, he does not want to leave. Now, how much of that has to do with the, 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 the organization? How much does that have to do with the fact that he's a California kid? You know, I think that it's probably more so that he's home, He's down the street from where you know he's he's in his his state. He's uh, he's a couple hours away from where he grew up, uh, as opposed to uh, the just the fact that he loves the organization. Because you have to think about it. His closest friends on the team was the defensive backs, and they've all left. (laughs) Uh, Janoris Jenkins, T.J. McDonald, and Rodney McLeod was his closest friends on the team, and they're all gone. You know, so is it the organization that makes him stay? I don't, I don't, I don't know if uh, that's the case. Uh, I'm not saying that he. That he that it's not playing a factor, you know, because there's other guys on the team that I'm sure he's grown close with. But uh, I think it's probably the fact that he's home. That's why he doesn't want to leave. Um, but the, the report is that he chose not to sign the uh, agreed to a long term extension with them so he can stay in L.A. And the Rams also weren't crazy about the idea of trading him. So it was more so the offer was made, but the Rams didn't put him out there, if that makes sense. Uh, With that being said, that doesn't make the relationship look as damaged as it did two months ago (laughs) when the reports were all over the place saying that, oh, the Rams are just dangling him out there as trade bait. You know, um, I don't if that if if it's true that they were not dangling him out there as trade bait and it was just more so teams were inquiring about him. But the Rams wasn't really biting, and he didn't want to bite. It was a mutual that they wanted to keep together. Then that means that the real hold up here is the fact that they've, as you said, they've had two years to do it and they haven't. The real hold up is they've now put into his head he's worth more than what he is. Um, yeah. However, the Rams are notorious for dishing out way too much money <laughs> to well, all the wrong players, and I don't see any reason. Yeah, I don't see any reason they're suddenly going to be like, oh, yeah, let's stop doing this, <laughs> you know, because they haven't yet. You know, um, they remind you, this is the same team. I'm not even going to say Tavon Austin, which I think most people thought I was about to say. But, no, this is the same team that gave Mark Barrett <laughs> $45 million, $9 million a year. Hell no. <laughs> they are absolutely always dishing out money. You know, when you look at the highest paid players on the team, you know, you got Tavon Austin, Mark Barron, um, Michael Brockers, and you have uh, Andrew Whitworth, who that's the only one who deserves it. <laughs> you know, so they, they are dishing out money all the time and you're always kind of scratching your head. Um, Michael Brockers, I love Michael Brockers and he's one of the best uh, best defensive tackles in the league because he can play the nose, he can play the shade, he can play the three. Um, but it, worth 11 million dollars a year 
I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know because that's that's uh, about top five defensive tackle money. But that's what they did, and they gave Tavon Austin, you know, uh, what is it, twelve million dollars a year or something like that. And you know, so they're dishing out money way too easy. I think Tremaine Johnson gets paid. Uh, how much he gets paid, that's the question. But I think he ultimately will sign sign that deal. It's going to be kind of that last minute down to the wire type deal. I just don't see it happening like because they've already had two years and how far apart do they have to be to not be able to get something done in two years like you guys got to be coming from opposite directions if it's taking this long to work out a contract like i can't imagine for the life of me that the rams woke up and were like Told that told themselves, hey, you know what we should do? Pay him seventeen million instead of like you know eleven a year, or something. You know, I can't imagine that that's what the Rams were doing. But at the same time, I can also imagine that that's what the Rams were doing. Um, so I I I think it'll be interesting. I think it'll be curious to see how it plays out. Um, I I. I I don't know. I truthfully don't know. Um, I would like to see Trumaine Johnson signed to a long-term deal. I think that he's part of the fabric of the secondary. I think if you can get him signed and Aaron Donald signed to long-term deals, you kind of have some cornerstone pieces in your in your defense, one along the line and one in the in in. All you need is one of these linebackers to step up and, and, you know, become that vocal leader. And then you have all three, you know, sections of your defense that, that have a, a, a leader, a, a veteran, just somebody who knows the game and knows what they're doing. Um, the question is, though, are the Rams going to do it? Because, I mean, Janoris Jenkins and Rodney McLeod were priority A, and they're currently playing in Philadelphia and New York. So, I mean, I wouldn't want to be priority A if that's what priority A meant. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Rams at this point, like – you can you could mess up before because you still you were able to tag Tremaine Johnson and you had you had depth you had Lamarcus Joyner you had EJ Gaines you know you were able to screw up you had you had Maurice Alexander you could literally screw up because you had the depth but now you're working with your depth <laughs> and so it's like. You don't have the room to screw up anymore. You know, um, everyone knew about these players, so it wasn't like they came out of nowhere. You know, two years ago, coming into the season, the Rams were being talked about as one of the deepest teams in the NFL because of all the depth they've had. But they lost so much depth, you know, with the starters leaving, the depth becoming the starters and becoming really good starters. Now you're now your previous death is your starters and those guys are next on the next on the list to leave you can't really afford to do that again because you don't have you don't have those same players sitting in the wings waiting anymore you know you have a bunch of undrafted guys a lot of question marks the rams have to sign Tremaine Johnson 
There's no more, oh, well, we can wait or we have this. or They really don't have a choice. Tremaine Johnson holds all the cards right now. He can literally hold them for ransom <laughs> because they they gave him the franchise tag. You don't want him to play under that, but he doesn't have to sign a new contract. <laughs> you know, so he holds all the cards. Like, he can hold them for ransom. Will he hold them for ransom? I don't think he will. Um, there's players out there that will do that. I don't know if he's one of them. I don't think he's one of them. Um, who will say, hey, you know what, I'm going to force you to rewrite the market by so much. <laughs> you know, right now, the top corners, they get paid $14 million a year. He could literally make them say, I'm going to make you pay me, you know, my full 17. <laughs> or you can pay me 16 in the long term, 16 a year. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he's ultimately going to sign a deal, and it's probably going to be about $13 million a year. All right, fair enough. I mean... I, I we agree on one thing, if nothing else. Tremaine Johnson needs to be re-signed. If the Rams are going to succeed moving forward in a long-term sense, then they have to keep pieces like Tremaine Johnson and Aaron Donald. Yeah, I don't think it's. I mean, obviously, Aaron Donald isn't going anywhere, <laughs> you know, but uh, Tremaine Johnson, I think it's I think it's mandatory. He has to be resigned. They don't really have a choice anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the last question we got um, comes from Andy Vasquez, and I included it because not only do I love the player, uh, but <laughs> I've covered him. He said, does Justin Davis have a legit shot at that third running back spot? He has great hands and can make people miss. Okay. So here's the deal with Justin Davis, and then I'll let Meissen, I'll let Meissen break down his film. I love him. He's one of the hardest runners that USC has. He's also a guy that knows how to hit a hole and go. That's one thing he's he does really well. Once he plants his foot and, and goes, he, he <clears throat> he's decisive, which is what you want in a running back. Um, he can catch the ball out of the backfield, and he's an adequate pass blocker. Um, he's definitely better than most. Um, but there are times when, frankly, he's just undersized, and, and that's going to happen. You know, there are only... There are only so many Maurice Jones Drews in the world that can stand up to, like, the J.J. Watts of the world. Um, but uh, he, he had ball security issues early on in his college career. Those were cleared up. Um, I think towards the end of his career, I thought... Uh, I, I also think that this is a guy who can run out of the shotgun, but I still think he's a guy that that would line up, you know, in a two tight end set. So um, I think he's talented enough to, to, to grab that third running back spot. I certainly do. You know, I would say that the answer is yes. For one reason and one reason only, um, the the difference that he the difference in the skill set that he brings. Uh, the Rams right now, their backfield, they don't really have a back. They had Benny Cunningham, right, who was a bigger back, 
You know, he was, you know, 217, 220 pounds, but he also was very, very shifty, you know, very elusive, you know, and could catch the ball out of the backfield. And, you know, when you have that size, you can be, and you can, and you know how to run behind your pads. You can be both a power back and a scat back. That's what Benny Cunningham brought to the table. Um, they don't really have anyone else on the roster like that. You know, you have your, you went out and signed a scat back and Dun- Lance Dunbar. And then after that, you know, Aaron Green, who I'm a fan of, I wouldn't say he's a scat back. I just think he's can, a football can, player. Can we, can we say that Lance Dunbar might be a bit part player? Because I think as a running back option, Justin Davis is better. <laughs> He is definitely a better option than uh, than Lance Dunbar. Um, Lance Dunbar is purely a receiver, if you ask me. Um, Which Justin Davis can do quite well, and I think that helps exactly. out Jared, Jared Goff immensely, is that Justin Davis knows how to take a quick screen and turn it upfield and to follow his blockers. He's, he's really good at being patient, running behind his blockers and, and waiting for his time. <clears throat> I wouldn't. He's, he's not a guy that's going to hit a home run, but he's going to get you. He's going to get you a triple. Usually, it, you know, a double or a triple once, if he pulls off something big, it's, it's, it's usually, it's usually pretty sizable, but uh, there are times when Justin Davis has taken it to the house. But yeah, you know he's he's got average speed. I, I just I just think that he's decisive. He runs low to the ground, and and he can he's versatile. I think that's why he'll succeed. But go on. I mean, I wouldn't say that he is a back who's going to um, who's going to really blow the play open you know i don't think he has that in him um i would say you know he's he's got a a little bit above average speed for running back i think the average you know the average nfl running back and this may have changed because i haven't looked at it in a couple years but the average nfl running back rent runs 40 in like the four five seven range you know so i would say that he's he's probably a little bit above average you know he's probably a four five three guy um so he has some long speed. Uh, as far as his patience goes, I think he has okay patience. You know, I wouldn't. I'm not crazy about it, but I'm not really against it either. I think it's just it's okay. It's probably about average. Uh, I would say the thing that is impressive with him is his open field running ability. I think he runs very well in open field, um, and I think he's a very good pass catcher. But above all else. What's the number one thing that teams talk about you have to be able to do to play in the NFL if you're going to be a running back? Pass block. I think he's a good pass blocker. And um, I think that's going to be kind of what – I think that's I think that's the primary reason the Rams even went out and signed him is his ability to protect the quarterback. And as we're talking about, they keep saying it, the focus is Jared Goff. I've been saying this nonstop <laughs> since – since Jeff Fisher was fired, really, the focus is Jared Goff. You know, not Todd Gurley, not Tavon Austin or anyone else. It is Jared Goff. And if, you're, if your focus is Jared Goff, you're going to want to protect him in every way possible, including from the backfield. I think that's why they went out and got him. They needed another back after losing Benny Cunningham, who could protect your quarterback, who can pick up the blitz, which he's very good at. Justin Davis is good at picking up the blitz. 
can go out there and pick up the blitz, and then also then the other th- everything else is secondary. You know, he can run the ball, he can catch the ball. You know, he's a good open field runner. So, and then of he's, course, you know, let me can, let me run down his stats. Teams. Let me let me let me run down his stats for you guys. So he, go for he's, it. he's got a four four nine forty. Um, which was the second fastest on the team uh, for those who ran at Pro Day uh, behind Isaac Whitney, who was a 4 4 1. He didn't do bench press at uh, USC's Pro Day, but he posted 21 reps at the combine. And 21 reps would have tied him good enough for third on the team, two behind Jordan Simmons, and they, uh, about 12 behind Stevie Tuikolovatu, who's a defensive tackle, who put up 33. And, you know, he's a 350-pound-plus. Def- like, I mean, come on now. Um, here's where it gets really interesting. Justin Davis got a 9-foot-7-inch broad jump. And uh, his vertical jump is 30 inches. So uh, you're talking about a guy that's got it's some... really underwhelming. What? It gets really underwhelming. His overall? No, I mean, you, the things are good, and then, you know, the jumps are underwhelming. Yeah, well, I mean, as a running back, I don't expect him to be able to... I mean, that's not his game. He does, I, I mean... I think thirty. I think thirty inches is fine. I've seen him hurdle a dude, so I mean, he's got no problem doing that. Like as a running back, I really think that that like if 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 you're throwing a pass that requires your running back to high point a ball over an NFL defensive back, you've designed a really idiotic play. Well, the thing about the jumps is it's not just, you know, yeah, it can tell you how high a guy can jump to go get the ball, but it's more about the explosiveness. Um, and usually, not all the time, it's not, this isn't the case all the time. I can think of a couple of players where this didn't work out, but usually a player who runs a 4.49, you know, which is a good 40, players who run fast usually can jump because they can explode, you know, um, which. Which, when it doesn't correlate that way, Justin when it Davis doesn't... had a lot of injuries that he was able to overcome. And so, yeah. when you look at it through that lens. Well, I was just going to say, like, when you usually, like, when they, when the player doesn't uh, show that explosion in those jumps, you know, and then you look at them run their 40. Their 40 doesn't necessarily show explosion, but it shows acceleration. You know, they're constantly building speed, which is a good thing for running back because when you get into that second level, you know, you're you're steady pulling away because you're gaining more speed, you know, um, as opposed to you, you hit your top speed quick and that's just it. You know, he's constantly building speed. Um, because he lacks that explosion, but it's a it's a acceleration, which is usually the case when you don't have the explosion. Um, and I think I think it's fair to say that that's the case with him because you you do see that on film. You see him build a steady amount of speed over, and as I said, he's a good open field runner. You know, so I'm 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 okay with the signing. I think that he has a better chance of making the team than what um what you would expect. And the only reason I say that is because. You look at where the Rams are pretty much set at running back. Um, unless you went out and drafted a guy, which 
they did, and it was a fullback. But unless you go out and draft a guy, um, I think the chances of, of a lot of rookie or undrafted free agents making the team is pretty small. But I think this was a good signing. I think that he has a good chance of making it. And he can also go out there and play some special teams for you. Yep, he sure can. Um, well, I'll be damned if we didn't answer every single question that we were asked. Uh, there it is. So, uh, if you would like to follow us, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Fight on Twist. You can follow Myson on Twitter at Mighty and or Myson. <clears throat> you can follow the site on Twitter at Turf Show Times, and you can also follow our producer on Twitter at Sports Speaks. Um, we will be back tomorrow talking with Joe Curley of the Ventura County Star. Uh, is a whole separate podcast uh, to this one. It's sort of a like a, a an attachment, but in a way, it's its own thing too. So, because uh, Joe said he's got you know enough time to sit down and talk with us, so that that could end up being a long and fruitful conversation. And we'll cover probably a lot of the same ground, but we'll get a third opinion on it, and we'll. We will consider Joe's opinion to be the, the swinging verdict. Like, if you and I disagreed, whoever he picks, like, that person's the winner. Fair? Fair enough. All right. So, with that, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Turf Show Radio on SB Nation's home for the Los Angeles Rams, Turf Show Times. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.